The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. The following program contains topics particular to the LGBTQ community. Some discussions may contain mature themes. As such, listener discretion is advised. This is Pride Connection, sponsored by BlindLGBTPride.org, otherwise known as BPI, every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. on ACB Media One, and shortly after on all your major podcast catchers. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Pride Connection. I'm your host, Anthony Corona, and I am very pleased to say that we are spending some time tonight with J.J. Hunt. J.J., you might remember, was with us a while back talking about audio description, and he was also instrumental in writing the audio description for our Disney-themed drag performance during our virtual convention last January. So, J.J., welcome back to Pride Connection. Thanks. It's great to be back on. Let's refresh the folks. Tell them a little bit about yourself. Um, What's the weather like up there in Canada? And, uh, you know, those (laughs) good things. So, yeah, uh, yeah, so I'm a describer by trade. I've been describing uh, movies and television and uh, all sorts of other things for about 20 years. So uh, 20 years ago, I got into the movies and TV and then moved into describing uh, museums and, uh, and galleries and live events. And then I started doing like parades and uh, I, I did the pride parade for a number of years. And then I got into doing big events like the Pan Am and Para Pan Am games. And that was fantastic. And then I started thinking, what else can be done with description? And so got into doing like storytelling walks, ghost story walks with description added into that and kind of walking tours of the city of Toronto where I'm from, but with description baked in. And, and then from there, I got into podcasting. And so I kind of bounce around in the description space, just trying to find new ways to use this quirky description skill set that I've got to explore the, you know, the world around us. I personally find it like live events. I find that fascinating. You have to think on your feet, you know, you have to be ready for anything. Can you give us a couple of examples of some of the, you know, offbeat things that have happened where you had to really kind of think on your feet Uh, and flub your way through maybe? (laughs) Yeah, there have been a few pretty harrowing moments. I mean, so the first time I I did the uh, the Para Pan Am and Pan Am Games opening ceremony, they were really, really strict with their content. They didn't want anyone to know in advance what the, you know, what the, the, the special guests were going to be, what kind of costumes were going to be involved. It was very hush-hush. And so they had a broadcaster's package that they handed out to the broadcasting team 48 hours, I think, in advance. But of course, we're just accessibility. They didn't think of us. So that we got nothing. So we were live 
live in venue with tens of thousands of people in the Sky Dome, of course, only hundreds, maybe only dozens of people on headset listening to the description, but we had nothing. We had no notes. We had no idea what guests were going to show up. We didn't know anything about the costumes or what they represented. And so people start filing into the, into the stadium and the performance starts and it's a circus performance with indigenous inspired costumes from Cirque du Soleil. It's this big epic event and we have nothing. We were completely flying by the seat of our pants for two hours. And it was one of the most invigorating description experiences of my life. I loved it. It was terrifying. And I think people were generous with us when we occasionally missed a thing or two, but it was thrilling. I really loved that. The other story that comes to mind is describing the Pride Parade a few years back. This was a, a the Toronto Pride Parade when uh, this was the first time that a Prime Minister uh, of Canada was going to be attending the Pride Parade. Justin Trudeau was going to come and Black Lives Matter was the honoured guest that was going to lead the group at the beginning. And I don't know if you caught word of this, but what happened was the Black Lives Matter. They were they were the first ones marching down uh, down Young Street, great big street in Toronto. Crowds are packed, ten people deep on either side of the street. Black Lives Matter comes marching down the street, and they are in full black clothing with black veils, holding fists in the air with um uh, with smoke canisters in hand in in the rain in the colors of the rainbow. Really incredibly powerful. They march down the street and they pass our tent, the accessibility tent, and we can't see them anymore. But then the parade stops. Nothing happens. I'm like, okay, this is kind of odd. And so, you know, I'm the describer. So I've got a microphone. There are speakers pointed at the, at the, at the accessibility tent. And I just start describing the environment, right? Here's what the buildings across the street look like. Here's what the crowd looks like. And look at the watch. The parade's still not moving. What's going on? What's going on? Words begins to spread that Black Lives Matter has launched a protest. They blocked the entire street and it's getting tense. And because the prime minister's there, security is, is heightened, really heightened. And suddenly I notice after the, you know, things have been stopped for 20 minutes, I glance up and across the street on top of one of the, you know, maybe 15 story building uh, across the street, snipers start to appear on the roof line. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, do I announce over a microphone and speakers that there are snipers across the street? Like my, as a describer, I think I describe everything. I don't, I'm not, I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to be the one to say yay or nay, but can I scream fire in a crowded theater? This isn't going into headsets. This is going into speakers. And it was the first time in my life that I decided, no, I'm not going to, I'm going to withhold that piece of information and I'll wait and tell people about that afterwards when we go for drinks at the end of Pride. (laughs) (laughs) That had to have been a harrowing experience. Yeah, Um, it was quite something. Yeah, from both angles, you know, A, you know, what am I doing here? This is, you know, this is my profession. This is a judgment call that I'm not supposed to make. But B, there are snipers across the street on top of the building. Totally. (laughs) That yeah, means something. <laughs> it does. It, it really does. And, you know, it all calmed down. Everything was good. The demands were met. The parade moved on. And then, you know, half an hour later, Justin Trudeau marched down the street and I got to lock eyes with our uh, hunky prime minister. So, uh, you know, all was well with the world. But it was it was for a few minutes there, uh, you know, a little bit on the edge, a little on the edge. I will definitely agree with you on the categorization of Mr. Trudeau. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I got to say, I really enjoyed it describing. He had he had on this salmon colored linen shirt. He was drenched in sweat and with like, you know, water from all the squirt guns that pe- people were squirting at him. He was beaming. And as he walked toward me, I, you know, I had a little bit of fun describing him. And so I described him in general terms before saying, oh my goodness, it's the prime minister of Canada. Of course, everyone knew who it was and they were laughing and uh, it was, it was a nice moment. It was a nice moment. Have you ever been recognized by anyone from audio, you know, just your voice from audio description? You know, it hasn't happened yet. I'm kind of I'm a little bit, you know, giddy and childish about it, but I'm I'm kind of hoping it does happen at some point. You know, I'm I'm signed up for oh, what's the app where people can call and uh, and ask questions about what's on their phone or what's on their wine bottle or oh, like be my eyes or I my eyes. Thank you. Okay. It's be my eyes. I'm a volunteer on be my eyes, but I've never gotten a call, and I I just never I always miss it. The phone be my eyes rings, and I'm like oh no, it's be my eyes, and I you know try and, and get the call as quickly as possible and i never the one to answer it there's so many more volunteers than there are users i just never get the call but i have this very silly kind of childish fantasy that (laughs) i answer one of the be my eyes calls and the person on the other end says is this jj hunt the describer and i mean it's such an arrogant thing to even think about i can't (laughs) believe i'm copying to it on the radio so embarrassing but it's absolutely true that I, I I do, you know, deepen my boyish pit hope that someday I do get <laughs> recognized for this voice. <laughs> the person I need to ask is one of our board members who also does Pride Connections for us um, on occasion, Mr. Chris Snyder. I, I, I'm sure at this point he has to have been recognized at least once with, you know, all of the ABC stuff. And, absolutely. Um, speaking of Chris, I wanted to see what kind of reaction you have to the Benny year that he's been having, you know, between the um, the books themselves, then the award for the books, and then getting the SAG Awards. Just wondering, I know you guys work together here and there. What, uh, what kind of reactions or, or shout outs do you want to give towards Chris? Oh, I think that's fantastic. I love that he's being recognized for all this work. And, and, and frankly, I love that there's ways to recognize this work. So many different ways. The SAG Awards. I mean, that's fantastic that we, we are in an industry that celebrates its talent, that celebrates the people who are putting out good work. So absolutely a huge congratulations. That's fantastic. The last time I think we spoke voice to voice was during the whole period where we were producing um, what we ended up titling Behind the Makeup. It was um, an interview session about the art of drag. And you so generously donated your time and talent to writing the audio description for a Disney-inspired drag performance, which to this day we do believe is the first ever audio described drag performance. We have not been able to find any that predate that. So can you just tell us a little about that experience and and what writing for something like that is like? Yeah, that was really fun. So you guys had sent me this uh, video clip filmed in a club of a drag performance. So there were lots going on in that clip. So you've got a bit of the audience because you got the audience heads kind of popping up and you can hear the audio from the audience when people laugh and, and are enjoying the show you've got the performance itself which is of course really i mean it's a drag show there's a lots going on there are lots of visuals there's dancing there's costumes and then you've got the music which is entirely recognizable with lyrics that need to be heard 
So trying to blend all of, like take all of those things into account and do all of those things justice was a real challenge. I mean, that, it, that's a kind of a challenge with a lot of musical pieces when you're trying to describe musical numbers, you know, the whole musical theater pieces, either live or filmed versions. It's a real challenge. So I was happy for it. I love I love a challenge like that. And I was I was pleased that I got to participate. And, you know, who doesn't like being part of firsts? That's wonderful. To this day, I believe that that is probably our most commented on program that we've put on, at least during my time with BPI. We still get people that ask, hey, you know, are you ever going to run that again? That was such a great and fun. I've never got the chance to experience drag, which to everybody out there listening, if you have a great sighted friend <laughs> like JJ here, <laughs> you should, whether you can actually see it or not, you should go and experience a good drag show because there are tons and tons of fun and those performers they're working 24 7 to put these shows on what we experience for like two hours you, you know is about 10 hours of their day just to get that oh, yeah. those two hours done and it's it's amazing last year you were involved in a project that was really really cool and it's going to lead into the real reason why we're having tonight's conversation tell us about your rocky horror experience yeah that was fantastic so i do some work with uh with vocali a group in vancouver a group of describers it's a, a a description outfit that that describes uh, the arts and theater scene in Vancouver, across Canada, around the world. And they do a lot of virtual stuff, especially in uh, pandemic and lockdown times. They've been doing a lot of virtual events. And so I've done uh, several things with them in the past. And we were talking about what kinds of events we wanted to do. This was last year leading up to Halloween. We said, well, what about the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Is there anything we can do with the Rocky Horror Picture Show? So I, I, you know, there were a number of us who were involved, Steph Kirkland, who's at Vocali and, and Amy Amanti, who's at, uh, at Vocali. We talked about how to present the Rocky Horror Picture Show when we didn't have the rights to the show itself. We're not going to describe the actual movie and play it. We wanted to do something different with it. And so what we came up with was this format where we did a breakdown of the, the history of the show and the visuals that are baked into the show. The costumes, the settings, the references, all of the B-movie references and what the quality of the film looked like and the posters. And so we did like a big deep dive into the look of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And then we kind of did some storytelling and we, we did some description rich storytelling moving through the movie. Just Amy and I talking. Amy, who's a, a member of Vancouver's bl uh, blind community and me, a describer based in Toronto. And we just kind of did some story telling to work our way through the, the the story of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And then whenever we came to a big number, we would stop our storytelling. I do a little bit of pre-description. So this is the these are the visuals that are you know happening in the upcoming song. And then we would play the song and video from YouTube so that everyone could like rock out to Sweet Transvestite, uh, you know, in the time warp. And then we would come back and continue the story. And it worked brilliantly. It was such a fun way to work your way through a musical, which as we've said, has some real challenges, right? Like describing musicals, trying to avoid stepping on those lyrics, trying to get descriptions of, I mean, how do you describe Frankenfurter in the right. three seconds between one line of dialogue and it, it's just impossible. <laughs> so this allowed us to take five minutes to describe Frank and the heels and the eye makeup and the lips. It was wonderful. And so that, that, that was so successful. We thought what other things fit into that? What other musicals, what other ways do we want to use this new technique, this new way of 
presenting, you know, musical description. And so that led us to talking about Hedvig and the Angry Inch. And you mentioned Frankenfurter, iconic, iconic, iconic. You know, from the best of your memory, how did you describe his entrance and or setting the scene for the time warp? Oh, God, that's a great question. You got to get the makeup, right? Yeah. Frankenfurter is played by Tim Curry. The makeup is itself kind of iconic. So bright red lips with a black outline, very heavy on the eyeshadow and the eyebrows with curly hair and this corset, this kind of corset that's got a bit of a tank toppy uh, feel to it. So it kind of goes up and around the neck with white pearls. And so the moment when Frankenfurter enters the picture, Brad and Janet are being kind of marched back out of the room. They're backing themselves out of the space. They've just experienced the time warp. All the Transylvanians have flopped onto the floor. Brad and Janet are like, we got to get out of here. This place is creepy. They start backing out of the space and they back themselves into a cage elevator and they spin around and standing there is Frank and Furter in his full makeup. He's wearing a cape and he strides right past them. Glorious entrance. I used to be in the Toronto cast of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. We had a shadow cast in front of the theater, uh, the Bloor Theater back in my day. And um, our troupe was called Erotic Nightmare. And I played Eddie and the criminologist. So uh, like to have that fun of like calling back to my teenage years, one of my teenage passions and to be able to describe it and play with it in a kind of professional fun setting, like was a dream. It was awesome. It was wonderful. You know, I was I was a baseball player all through high school and college, and I was the jock boy with a nerd heart. And um, I got cast as Brad. Um, oh, did twice. you? <laughs> I did. I was understudying Frankenfurter, never thinking that I would actually have to, you know, step into the role. And um, just about an hour before the performance, it was it was during the winter. The guy playing Frankenfurter fell. It, it subsequently broke his ankle. Oh, um, no. And so at the last minute, I had to go in to that role. <laughs> um, and that costume is very body specific. <laughs> let's just oh, say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that it is. Somebody said to me, you were like an alien trying to pretend to be human, <laughs> pretending to be Frankenfurter. And I was like, well, thank you. If I had been any more raucous about my performance, it would have been deemed X-rated and I would have been <laughs> probably oh arrested. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, I, I, it's such a great show. And the people who participate in it tend to be the best of freaks. You know, the, the, the wonderful weirdos uh, I, I, that I met during my time uh, at the Rocky Horror Show. Was, it was wonderful. Wonderful. I really enjoyed it. And I have to say, I'm playing Eddie Meatloaf. Yeah. My costume still fit. I could say I could I could put on my Eddie vest and it still fit because I was a tubby guy then and I'm a tubby guy now. So it was all good. <laughs> well, BPI, it will be running an audio described um, version of the Rocky Horror Picture Show during our conference and convention in Omaha this year. Unfortunately, it's for the in-person only crowd because we're not allowed to stream it over, you know, over the networks. Of course, but um, yeah. we will be giving out prizes uh, for those who may come in costume with the best, you know, we'll do some sort of a vote for it, you know, and bring your toast points, bring your water bottles, bring some popcorn. <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to be a screaming time. 
Awesome. So this year, you guys decided to do headbang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we've been thinking about what what could we do, what what next uh, project. So we're talking about doing Greece. That's probably going to happen in the future. We've talked about doing West Side Story. That's probably going to happen at some point. But with Pride coming up, we thought, well, this would be an interesting uh, way to kind of do something for Pride to celebrate Pride. So we decided to do Hedvig in the Angry Inch, which is. I love this music. It was, it was the first movie my wife and I ever saw together. It was our first date movie. Um, it was filmed in Toronto. Wow. Um, it, the, I have a, the, a real soft spot for this film and it's challenging. Like it's a really interesting, challenging film with, it's not just the campy romp that Rocky is. It's serious. It's got some real yeah, depth yeah. and some, oh, some gut wrenching moments in that. So we're going to be doing the same kind of approach. We're going to be, you know, walking through it. We're going to be going scene by scene, and then we're going to explore the various numbers. We've also got, I mean, this is a, a real coup at Vocali. They've also lined up um, a, an actor named Greg Armstrong Morris, who's a, a performer in Vancouver who has played the role of Hedvig on stage in Vancouver. And he's going to be joining us at this event. So we're going to get to talk to him about his experiences being on stage as we break down the visuals, talk about some of the challenging issues with description and gender, which is really, I mean, that's a conversation that needs to be had over and over again, because we're still figuring that out. It's going to be an amazing event. I, I'm I'm so excited about it. And I'm really proud that Vocalide is working toward this kind of content and creating challenging pieces and, uh, and not afraid to muck in and have these interesting and fun conversations and play with description like this. I think it's wonderful. Before I lost my eyesight, I was very lucky to have seen Hedwig with um, Neil Patrick Harris. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, I grew up in New York City, which, you know, I I will forever be grateful for. You know, I've been there on and off my whole entire life. So I've gotten to see a lot of great theater. And Hedwig, when I think to myself, you know, what are the shows that have hit me the most? You know, Hedwig, Kinky Boots, Rent, Wicked for, you know, I'm, I'm a Wizard of Oz kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Wicked just automatically hits that. But Hedwig is a very interesting, can you give our audience a synopsis? It's, a, it's kind of a self-love story that explores ideas around gender identity and acceptance and, you know, the freedom to be whoever it is that you are. Hedwig is this punk rock singer from East Berlin who's moved to the U.S. after after a botched gender reassignment surgery that left him with this angry inch. That's the angry inch in the title. And he, he, this character has had their heart broken a couple of different times. First by the, the GI who coerced them into having this operation to get them out of East Berlin. And then a second time by uh, a, a young teenage boy named Tommy who fell in love with Hedwig and then stole their songs and used them to become a rock star. And so this story kind of follows Hedwig as Hedwig follows Tommy around the uh, around the states. Tommy playing in uh, grand stadiums for, you know, being the, the rock star of the moment and Hedwig playing in these crummy little seafood restaurants telling their their story through it's kind of like a musical monologue the whole piece is like one big musical monologue of Hedvig telling this extraordinary story there's a lot of scene back and forth too so description wise it's going to be very how many times have you gone through it with the writer of description I saying to yourself you know what am I going to leave out how do you get it all to the audience you're doing this you're doing it in the same format as Rocky so you're telling the story and then using the the musical numbers to accentuate you know I've seen the movie a bunch of times but I you know put on my 
prescription glasses and sat down with, with the movie <laughs> and started taking my notes. And I wound up with literally three times the note package that I actually need. I don't have the time to say everything that I want. I can't possibly describe every costume. And there are some really heartbreaking moments. Like uh, yeah. there's a moment when, when Hedvig's mother is telling them that they have to, if you're going to leave East Berlin and go to the and go to the US you have to leave a little something behind meaning this gender reassignment surgery and while the mother is telling her son her child this piece of information she brushes a lock you know just yeah. a lock of hair from the wig that they've just put on on their head this is the gut-wrenching little gesture and i want that gesture to be included somehow in the description because it seems so telling to me but that's one moment in an hour and a half if i told if i described every moment my synopsis would be three times longer than the film, not one third its length. So that's going to be my challenge is finding those illustrative details, finding those moments that can not only help convey the the path of the story, but also convey the visual emotion and convey the way that the filmmakers are presenting this film. Like all of those flashbacks, when we go back to different times, there's a different color palette for each one, right? When you go back to East Berlin, everything's colored in this kind of, there's a greenish blue tint, like a faded old photo from a photo album. When they get to the trailer in a a trailer park in Kansas, everything's washed out and kind of yellowed. And then when you're in the the seafood restaurants and Hedwig's got their glorious hunk out, I mean, everything's glossy and shimmering. It's awesome. And I want all that to be included too. So, oh, I don't know how I'm going to do it. You know, it begs the question as a describer, as a writer of AD, is it easier or is it harder to write description for something that you're actually loving and you're in the story? If you're in the story and you're invested, maybe you're going to spend a little bit more time finding the perfect description, finding the perfect adverb or something like that. You're really going to sink your teeth into it. But, you know, most of us who do this for a living are hopefully professional enough to even if we're not loving it, we're still paying enough attention. And we're, you know, we're still trying our hardest to convey that. I think with pieces that you really love, one of the reasons you love them is because they're good. And when a piece of theater or a piece of art that you're describing or a movie or something is really good and juicy, the creators are giving you a lot to work with. And so that really inspires you and gives you all the material to produce the best description. So whether it's easier or harder, maybe takes a little longer if you love it because you're spending more time swimming around (laughs) in it. It's just so good. But if you love it, it probably does make for an even better product in the end. President and co-host Gabriel Lopez-Cafati just joined us. So I want to give him a minute or two to say hello. Welcome, welcome, ladies. It might be Mr. Gabriel. Welcome, welcome. Hey, Anthony. Hey, JJ. Hi, how are you? Good, good. Thank you for joining us on Pride Connection tonight. Oh, my pleasure. Always happy to be here. So, Gabe, as you heard when you came in, we're talking about Hedvig and the Angry Inch, the iconic, you know, it means a lot to to our community, but it's one of those crossovers that really just, it's poignant, you know, it's got a couple of different themes that really chug on the heartstrings. So, Gabriel, do you have a Hedvig experience or any questions for JJ? I stopped uh, my interest for TV, movies, etc. as my vision decreased and as I was not acquainted with audio description. So I, I have a lot of catching up to do. So I'm really looking forward to this. 
Awesome. Well, I mean, th- this event should be exactly the kind of the kind of thing that will sit well with you and that you'll enjoy because we are mm-hmm. we are really diving into the visuals. We, we're going to spend a lot of time describing the the characters, describing the settings, and uh, and going back and forth a little bit, just a little bit between the movie and the and and the theater, uh, the theatrical productions. Like most of the songs mm-hmm. we're going to be sharing are from the film version, but yeah. then a few of the songs we're going to share from the theatrical as well there's a great performance by neil patrick harris of sugar daddy that i think they did at the um i think it was the tony's 2015 or so and it's a fantastic performance where he goes i mean neil patrick harris goes right into the audience and gives kevin bacon a lap dance and he pulls the glasses (laughs) off of samuel l jackson's face and he licks the lenses before putting them back on i mean it's just outrageous and so we'll be going back and forth and describing some of those moments mostly from the theatrical but a few from from the uh um live in person uh you know theater and uh, as well so you very generously are sharing access to this performance with our bpi members tell us when tell us how what are the specifics yeah so again it's being put on by vocali it's a, it's a virtual event it's going to be on june 1st in the evening and uh you can register at vocali.ca um or or if you want, you can give them a call at 604-364-5949 and you can register there. Or, or what? what is the platform? It's Zoom, right? It is on Zoom. Yeah. So the, the way it works is Amy Amanti is the host for the event. And uh, I, I think she opens up the event at 630 Pacific time. And, you know, people people start to gather. It's like the waiting room, like the lobby uh, in the theater. People chat for a little while. And then at seven o'clock, nice. the program <laughs> begins. And that's when we start. Uh, we're going to be talking to Greg Armstrong Morris about his experience as a performer playing Hedvig. I'll do some of the, the the kind of deep dive description. And then as the evening goes on, we're going to describe our, our way through the piece using the the songs and, and some of the videos on, uh, on YouTube as well. And nice. JJ, that was 7 p.m. Pacific, right? That's right. 7 or- p.m. Pacific on June the 1st. Perfect. What a great way to open Pride Month. Are you, Absolutely. Are you participating yep. in any other events this year for Pride? Well, You so- guys are not doing a, a parade this year, are you? I'm not sure I have, you know, I did the pride parade for years until the, um, the pandemic hit and then they stopped. I think the pride parade might be going on again this year, but to be honest, it's been quite quiet. I haven't heard as much about it as I have in years past. What I'm going to be doing for, to kind of celebrate pride. One of my other projects is I'm a, uh, I'm a co-host of the podcast talk description to me. And that's where my pal, Christine Malik and I describe the world around us. And uh, last year for, pride we kind of did a virtual version of a pride parade so we took some clips of previous pride parades and i kind of live described them to give the feeling this is what it's like to be at a pride parade because we couldn't all be at one in person and this year we don't know what we're doing yet because christine and i are allies but we're not in the Toronto's, uh, you know, gay and lesbian community. So we actually kind of put the word out on Twitter. We are hoping that community members can tell us what should we be describing? How can we contribute to the celebration, the understanding of pride? So if anyone's got any ideas on what we should be describing, what events, what images, what visual elements from uh, the gay and lesbian community the lgbtq community they can give us a uh, they can drop us a line on on twitter uh, at talk description and uh well, and give us Jay, some suggestions Jay, 
You may want to be careful when you ask, what do we want described? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we have been talking about having a second podcast called Talk Description After Dark. So some of the suggestions might have to wait and fall into that <laughs> might category. might have to go under that category. <laughs> I'm sure that. <laughs> if for some reason you want to do a special, you could also do Talk Dirty Description to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is a whole other. That's a subscription-based podcast, I think, for sure. Yeah. There's a lot of images that are coming out of Ukraine um, yeah. and our community is somewhat left in, you know, in the backseat. The pundits will sometimes describe kind of what we're seeing, but not to the extent, you know, we're hearing, you know, there's some powerful images. There's one that comes to mind for me that was spoken about over and over and over again. It was a journalist who literally watched a family taken down um, yeah. as they were trying to escape. Hearing it spoken about while the visual on the screen we know stephanie rule from msnbc she was crying you know we know it's powerful but we can't build that image-based knowledge in our head because we don't get description on news things like that so have you done a show like that or do you know of a service that is describing some of that stuff coming out when russia first invaded and in the end of february uh i think it was episode 92 for us we did we did an episode on the initial invasion what was going on right away and it was a it was a last minute episode for us it wasn't planned obviously and as soon as the images started coming in we did an episode right away and then a couple of weeks later in mid-march we did an episode on president Zelensky because the videos that he was putting out, his social media presence was really interesting. The visuals of that, the way he was wearing, uh, he'd kind of created a uniform for himself and the way he was speaking directly to camera. We thought the visuals of that were really quite fascinating. And again, like you say, the kind of thing that maybe is being spoken about in the news, but they always presume that you're watching the clip. So you might have people talking about the clips, but they're not telling you what's in the the, the visuals of it. And so we wanted to add that to the conversation. We also did a bit of coverage of the political street art that was showing up around the world, across Europe and around the world. But I think you're right. I think it might be time to come back and have a another episode. This is an ongoing situation. And I think it's probably time for us to come back and take a look. It's always a challenge with topics like this, with really heavy, with war and death and really difficult topics for people to absorb. When you have an image that is uh, you know, on the background and on a TV station or in a newspaper, you can glance at it and then turn the page. Or you can kind of half cover your eyes and peek through your fingers. When someone describes those images, it's harsh because you can't half listen. And when you take the moment and you kind of sink into those visuals and you talk about why they are heartbreaking and, and and the specifics... It can be very challenging both to hear and also to write and to narrate. So we're always trying to be careful with making sure the audience has the opportunity to hear these things because we think that's a right. We think that the audience, they're the ones who get to make the decision. Do I want to hear this? Do I not want to hear this? How far do I want to go with this topic? We have to be aware, Christine and I are always looking out for each other and making sure that we spend a reasonable, a modest amount of time um, 
really diving into these image because it's hard on the soul. And there's a lot of these kind of topics these days that, that are kind of challenging. So we, we try and weigh all of those things and then move forward as, as responsibly as we can. You know, we've been in the last 10 days, the United States has dealt with two horrific shootings. Whenever there's an, a, an event that is in the news, a big event, a shocking event, anything Anything like this, Christine and I, as the the hosts of Talk Description to me, we 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 talk. Is this something we're going to cover, and how are we going to cover it? Um, mm-hmm. You know, whether there's a tornado or uh, wildfires, you know, exactly anything like that, we have a conversation. How do, should we cover it, and how should we cover it? And so. Just this morning, uh, Christine and I uh, were having a text conversation about this very thing and trying to decide how we could cover it. And um, one of the things we talked about was about making sure that some of these images are available, images of what what the security systems look like for people, for kids going Mm -hmm. into school these days. That's different images of what these weapons look like. Um, a lot of this stuff has, has, has crept toward the, the weapons of serious destruction and in the security state that some of this, these schools are in is so fundamentally different. Our very first episode, the very first episode we did of Talk Description to Me was the George Floyd video. That was just how the timing lined up. And we thought, are we not going to do this or are we going to do this? And, and that's, we decided to. So we described that video. And in, in our subsequent conversations with the, the riots that followed, I remember describing what a police officer at one of these uh, riots looked like. And Christine was quite stunned. Because her mental image of what a police officer walking down the street looked like was from the Andy of Mayberry days. Like I you know, heard that of, episode. Yeah, like a khaki <laughs> shirt and khaki pants. And I'm like, no, these, this is a military officer. Right? Riot gear, yeah. Full mm-hmm. gear, riot gear, riot helmets, batons. These are the kinds of weapons. Wow. And, and so when you describe some of those images around, it does give you a better understanding. I think it it helps. It helps fill in some of those blanks. And so we haven't yet decided how we're going to cover these these shootings from the last couple of days. Buffalo, of course, being very, very close to Toronto. We have a real connection with Buffalo here in Toronto. And, you know, a school shooting line. God, I mean, it's, it's gutting. And so trying to figure out how to do that in a way that adds to the conversation isn't doesn't feel like it's just capitalizing on it which god forbid we would ever want to even hint at that yeah. and, and and still protects our listeners and protects us these are we're all feeling pretty fragile these days and so we want to make sure that everyone comes out of those conversations and if you know hears those descriptions and 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 feels safe and well i'm very sensitive so i probably would omit listening to descriptions. Uh, However, my viewpoint on that is that the screening of the footage or images of of such horrific events should happen at a higher level. And and I'm not saying higher in terms of hierarchy. I'm meaning uh, at at a, you know, the sources are the ones who need to control that. However, once 
footage, a video, image, whatever is released to the public, I think uh, us, the blind and visually impaired community, have, um, I don't want to say the right, but we we would like to be on equal yeah. grounds and we would like to have access to the description of that information once it is released. I'm not, I'm not going to advocate for horrific footage to be released, but if it is, made public um we should be put on yeah. equal footing and we should you know decide i would obviously i'll, I'll say it you know up front I, I i myself even if it's audio described uh i would decide to not receive that information because yeah. it, i i can imagine having nightmares for days on end on, yeah. on on something like that but again there may be people who do want or need to have that kind of feedback to understand the magnitude of the situation and to kind of understand what is really going on and, and, and how communities are impacted by events like that. So, you know, it's, it's all about equal access. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you there. I, whether or not uh, an individual decides to listen or not is secondary. The primary thing is that everyone has the same access. And yeah, that's, access. Where, that's where we come from with the, with the podcast is we put it out there and we don't expect every listener to listen to every episode. Some Sometimes the topic's not going to be interesting to them. Sometimes it's too much. And, uh, and we have the utmost respect for that because, uh, not every sighted person has to watch all of these things. Not, not every blind and low vision media consumer needs to, uh, needs to listen. They should have the access if they desire. It's an absolutely great podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about your process when you were, when you were discussing January 6th? When the Capitol was being stormed again, we immediately Christine and I got on the Twitter and or got on texting and we're like, okay, we're covering this now. We needed to wait uh, about 12 hours so that the first round of, of images uh, was available. And we recorded within 12 hours, released the first episode within, within 24 hours. And then we found a couple of days later, we needed to go back and do a follow-up because we were, we were describing things that were so fresh. Um, we were describing things that were, the, the images were raw and we didn't have all of the context. And we were very clear. I, I hope we were clear when we were describing we were. those things that we don't, we didn't know everything. So this is what we're seeing, but we don't know everything. And a great example of that um, was the police officer uh, who was inside, who looked like he was being chased. This was a black police officer who was being chased through the Capitol building. And it looked like at first the mob was after him and he was in serious danger. And then what became clear in the days to come was that he was leading them away from the politicians who were trapped inside. And that little bit of context, knowing that piece of information allowed us to go back and re-describe that moment and pick out the visuals that supported that what at the time was a theory. And it was fascinating to do so. I was so happy that we were able to jump back in. And so I'm, I'm always hopeful that anyone who listened to the first episode then got to go back and listen to the second because the conversation had evolved. The, the, the information we had, the context we had did change the visuals, change the understanding, the meaning of them. And so uh, that was just a, one of one of my favorite examples of 
first of all, why we need to do this work. This was this was the, the, the video, the images were the images of the moment everywhere in the US, in Canada, across the world. And everyone needed to be able to participate in those conversations. So we wanted to get in there as quickly as possible and repeatedly to, to give people all that information. We were online as well. We were tweeting descriptions of images as they would pop up as the, as the conversation was unfolding. We just, want, we just wanted to be uh, providing as much information as we possibly could. So I caught the second episode first. Um, oh, did you, I, I think yeah. you, yeah. Didn't you guys do like three or four of them in total? We did. Um, we came back to it several times, and it it has yeah. come up in other conversations as well because it was it's so fundamental now. Everything moving forward politically, you can draw back into that moment. So it's come up in in lots of episodes since then. So I suggest to any of our listeners out there who you know who are looking for more content of this nature to to go check out Talk Descriptions. Me, it is a great podcast. You said you, you're always looking for material. Do you take one off ideas from folks? Absolutely, we've got an ongoing list. So you know, when Christine and I have our chats over the weekend, what are we covering this week? It might be the Oscars are coming up, so we know we're going to cover the Oscars. It might be Christmas or the Day of the Dead, so we know that that's going to happen. But if nothing's happening in the world, nothing has exploded, nothing is, you know, raging, no fires are raging, then we go to our list. And most of our list is listener requests. And so we had like a listener requests for records, like album covers. So we just dove into album covers. That was fantastic. Someone requested fire. What does fire look like? So we did a whole episode on what fire looks like. Someone else wanted to know about hand gestures like what a jazz hands look like that was really early on and so we described like you know how do you make the gesture for check please and what a jazz hands look like and how about when you make it rain money like all of these different hand gestures so we have an ongoing list anyone who's got any idea they're more than welcome to send them our way we can't always get to them right away because of the way things unfold in the world but we do pop back on that list uh, over and over and over again to to find those juicy ideas that that people have the visuals of whatever we're open underwater caves oh. and all the like the crystal lights and the stag uh i can never say that word stag stag yeah that one <laughs> that <laughs> you one, know yeah. <laughs> just you know just the whole idea of you know schools of fish swimming by i think that would be a, a fascinating episode so that's it. my personal contribution Are i'm an just... opera aficionado oh opera <laughs> um opera's and, a good one and, it is. It is, and 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 you know, and you know who um, I would like uh, to see um, a, a, a recital with audio description. Even though I know I I don't like audio description in the middle of my opera, but <laughs> that's the only place where I don't like audio description. But I think it would be of great value for people to understand the legend of uh, Maria Callas and why. Mm-hmm she uh, changed the world of opera because she was not only a singer, but she was an artist and, you know, the dramatism, the dramatic uh, uh, effects that she brought to the stage with her gestures, her, her movements, you know, that I would love to hear those descriptions. Fantastic. You know, the gestures and movements, it's amazing how often that comes up in our conversations. Christine is is very curious and interested in in that kind of nonverbal communication. 
And we actually, mm-hmm. I know, I know it's not the same. I know opera and symphony are different, obviously, but we recently did an episode uh, that involved the description of conductors. And oh my God, yes, that was amazing. Doing. Oh yeah, the, and the amount of information that is passed on through a conductor's yes. gestures, not just you know you now play or you know keeping the beat. No tonal. No, they jump and yeah. they and they and sometimes they're humming. And oh, then yeah. They, they, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's known to the yeah. head and roll of the shoulder there, you know, there's tap, yeah. tap, tapping. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's amazing. For sure. Well, and, same, and the, same and thing the quality with quality of those movements, the quality of those gestures informs how uh, the, 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 you know, the, the symphony members are, how tightly they're holding their instruments. Are they, are they tense or are they relaxed based on the yes. demeanor of the, of the conductor? It's amazing how that kind of communication goes back and forth in the middle of a symphony. It's fantastic. And not only yeah. that, but also the, the, you know, I think many people in the blind community, uh, if they haven't been able to see, uh, you know, before losing sight or whatever, whatever their, you know, path to blindness has been, if they haven't had a chance to see, uh, a, 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 you know, a symphony uh, or an orchestra perform a symphony, uh, you know, they may uh, not know that, for example, uh, there's times at which the entire orchestra is just looking at the conductor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's yeah, it's almost focused. like the outdated breath thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just a tiny movement can change the interpretation, at which, of course, changes the entire sound of you know of what's coming at us. And all this is happening in split second, you know, yeah. split second action, decision, moment, you know, sounds. And we're sitting there just enjoying the gloriousness of but, the, but the dance, you yeah, know, yeah. The, the, the work that's happening, the non, you know, the nonverbal communication is so intense. And, yeah. and we we don't really are, you know, when we are when we're sighted, seeing seeing and hearing it, we're interpreting it without even realizing we're interpreting it. And then when you go back and think about it, it's like, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. He was like jumping and rocking and then his shoulders doing that thing. And, <laughs> you know, and, and even horns. in opera, you know, the, uh, the, it, it, another thing that's, that's very, to me, it's impressive. I remember seeing uh, the, you know, in, in a, in a full scale opera, uh, the singers, even though they're moving and jumping and running and dancing or whatever, they're always looking at the conductor. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And all of that physicality that's going into their performance and yet keeping their voice uh, measured and keeping their voice, uh, you know, from fluttering. And as you say, focusing on the conductor all at the same time. Oh, Uh, the same time. It's an amazing coordination. And that will be something that, uh, I mean, uh, it will be fascinating. Um, like I said, I, I pinpointed Maria Callas specifically because uh, she she was, you know, she revolutionized, you know, the world of opera, they say, yeah. is divided in AC, BC and AC before Callas and after Callas. That's right, yeah, yeah. Because she, she used to criticize singers, opera singers before her time. She used to say that they they were all experts in doing what she called the beautiful sound exhibition. So she yeah. brought life back to opera. She brought dramatism and she brought that, that whole sense of, you know, embodying what yes. the composer was trying to convey in a specific ar- area. 
So, so the 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 every gesture that that he makes is is valuable for the history of opera. So there you go. That's that's my <laughs> beautiful. That's my it. request. I love it. Have you guys ever done an episode of like space and planets, the sun, and you know what what do we see with some of these telescope images and things like that? Yeah, we have. Well, Christine's a real space nut. She loves that stuff. So she, any moment she gets the opportunity, she brings some of that in. So we've done episodes on uh, on the moon, on the Mars landing. Um, we've done a couple of those episodes, and we also Christine and I both. Um, we work for uh, with with the Chandra X-ray Observatory, and so now every time NASA's Chandra X-ray Observatory releases a, a new image to the public, Christine and I describe that. And so we've developed a technique which is uh, a little bit different from standard audio dis- or standard visual description, what like the kind you'd find in a museum, where we incorporate the science text into the description. We kind of meld them. Because if you're describing wow. uh, like a, a quasar and its jet, and, and you yeah. can't just say a quasar, who knows what those yeah. are? Like they don't mean anything. So you need to incorporate that kind of language. So yeah, we've been working really closely with Kim Arcand at Chandra to uh, to come up with this technique, and uh, actually just recently with the the Event Horizon uh, Telescope. Black hole, yes. Yeah, we were able. It was it was actually pretty cool. Two days before that image was released to the public, we got a copy of it. And I was able to say to my kids, like, listen, kids, I got a secret uh, email from NASA today. I'm afraid I can't tell you anything about it. It's top secret. And we got to describe that image of the actual, like the event horizon of the black hole at the center of our galaxy. We got to describe that in advance of it being released. So that when it was released to the public, it was released with description in real time, not after the fact, not a week later, in real time. It was a, it was an absolute um, equitable experience, and we were so proud to be a part of that. And really, like you know, hats off to Kim Arcand at Chandra for making sure that that happens. She's the one who's been pushing for that. So we. Christine and I love this stuff. We we've been putting it on our podcast. We've been working with NASA and we've been, even been doing some training. We've been uh, Christine and I have been involved in a couple of training sessions with the various telescopes and departments at NASA and the Center for Astrophysics. So, astrophysics, but now I can't say it. The CFA. How about I'll just leave it at that, <laughs> so that their teams can be describing the images that they are releasing on social media and on their websites wow. to make sure that more of this space content, more of the images and, uh, and artists' renderings of phenomena from around our universe and beyond are, are fully accessible. So that's all ongoing. Okay, I officially hate you just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and having said that, while you were telling that story, I was thinking to myself, wow, his kids have cachet. They had to have run into school going, my dude, my dad's working for NASA. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it was funny. My eldest, they said to me, they're like, oh, listen, I know you're not supposed to share it, but can I just show it to my Discord server? And I'm like, dude, that is exactly <laughs> the one thing you're not allowed to do. And they were like, come on, man, dad. 
this is the only time you've ever been cool. Like, give me, give me a break. <laughs> it's like, kids, do you want to visit me in prison for the next five years? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> They're listening to this conversation as we speak. Like, come on. <laughs> oh, man. You know, this happens often on our show, but this is one of the times where I'm really like, okay, I'm really, I, you know, we got to do a two hour show, but um, <laughs> promise do. me you'll come back soon because I think we can have another hour's worth of awesome conversation. Absolutely. I would be pleased to. And I, so, and I know there are many of our members. Um, I, I, I guess Anthony explained uh, to you and our, and our listeners that this has been a complicated week. Um, yeah. Our, our yes. you know, uh, our executive, engineer extraordinaire uh is on a trip um you know everyone uh, this week has been with a lot of also preparations for pride within bpi yeah and um we here in florida are getting ready for a state convention everyone's getting ready for national convention but i can see how so many people would enjoy uh, a conversation with you, JJ, and would have so many questions and so many good ideas for you. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Well, I, I really hope I hear from lots of folks. Uh, like, hit me up on, on Twitter, yeah, either through the talk description uh, um, feed or on my personal one. I'd love to connect, love to get ideas for, uh, for the podcast and, uh, and honestly, just to connect. Because every, every bit of description that we do as cited describers needs to be done with the community. I think the days Absolutely. of describers being the ones who make the decisions, I think that is well in the past. So I, I, don't, I don't work in a vacuum. Thank you. I, I work with, Thank you. And, you know, so absolutely. All right. We will definitely be talking with you again soon. Everybody, we'll be back in two weeks with a great show. Happy Pride. Happy, Happy Pride, Pride, everyone. everyone. <laughs> Thanks, JJ. Cheers. My pleasure. You've been listening to Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind Pride International, a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. Please check us out at blindlgbtpride.org. Mm-hmm.